Let's remain standing and turn in our Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians, the first letter of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica. We'll read chapter 2. The message will come from the first 12 verses of chapter 2. So this is the word of God to us, the revelation of the truth. Let us hear it with great joy. 1 Thessalonians 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? 
for you are our glory and joy. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word opened and read out loud. We pray, Lord, that it would bear much fruit. We pray that the exposition of your word this morning would be glorifying to you and encouraging to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon title today is TBA. No, actually not. The sermon title today is A Good Relationship. And we're going to be looking at the good relationship between Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the church in Thessalonica as we look at these first 12 verses in 1 Thessalonians 2. <clears throat> the main point to remember in today's message is, the main point to remember in today's message is, underlying quote, the Lord provides faithful gospel ministers to lead his people. That means like Nate, right? Faithful gospel ministers provided by the Lord to lead his people. That's the main point to remember today. Here in the first 12 verses, we see a revealing description of Paul and Silas and Timothy as they ministered to the Thessalonians. In this description, we see the good relationship between the Thessalonians and the missionaries. As we look now at the Lord's provision of faithful gospel ministers for his people, we will look at three things. First, we will notice some characteristics of unfaithful ministers. Kind of a downside. Relations, characteristics of unfaithful ministers. Second, we will look at some characteristics of Paul, Silas, and Timothy as faithful ministers. And then third, we will note the family relationship of faithful gospel ministers. As chapter 2 begins, there's a transition from a happy description of joy and thanksgiving and positive things in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians as the missionaries now turn to address issues which involve some conflict or controversy. In verse 1, they first address them as brothers again, the church, and that, as they do many times in this short letter, providing the context of the church as the adopted family of God. And they mention again that the gospel came to Thessalonica and bore good fruit. But this time, in negative terms, it says the gospel was not in vain, not a failure, but a success. Of course, the good fruit that the church was bearing was the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. And that could be described in terms we read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. That is good fruit. In verse 2, as Paul and his friends reflect on their time in Thessalonica, they're recalling the tough time in Philippi that they had had just before that. They suffered and were shamefully treated in Philippi. 
We know what they were talking about because that's recorded for us in Acts 16. And the church in Thessalonica knew about it too because the missionaries came to Thessalonica right after being in Philippi. Do you remember what happened in Philippi? In Acts 16, we read that Paul cast out the spirit of divination of a slave girl and her owners grabbed the missionaries, kind of a citizen's arrest, and took them to the rulers of the town. The owners inflamed the crowd and the magistrates, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, and the missionaries were beaten with rods with many blows and thrown into prison for safekeeping. The magistrates are not behaving according to our community standards today. They were too cruel. The prisoners' feet were put in stocks. But the Lord intervened through an earthquake and then through the ministrations of the saved Philippian jailer who took them to his home, fed them, treated their wounds, and then brought them back to the prison. The missionaries received an apology from the magistrates after they complained. But still, the magistrates asked them to leave. No doubt, this is what Paul and his friends are talking about when they mentioned their shameful treatment. And they certainly warranted the label of suffering and shameful treatment. But the authors aren't trying to focus on how they were treated. Their focus, you see here, is on the fact that the suffering did not daunt them. That when they came to Philippi, came from Philippi to Thessalonica, they kept boldly preaching, declaring to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I like the phrase that they use, the gospel of God. I think it's used three times in this chapter. It reminds us that the author of salvation is the triune God. The gospel was originated by him, is executed by him. It isn't a creation of Paul or Silas or Timothy. They are merely stewards of it, spreaders of it, preachers of it. And we do well to recall the same truth applies to us. When we are witnessing the gospel to people, we are merely spreading God's gospel. In verse 2, the thoughts of warfare, or at least hostility, lurk. Paul is not a man to avoid controversy. He doesn't seek to stir up controversy, but he doesn't avoid it either. He is able and willing to face it and sort things out. Paul is defending his ministry and the gospel himself. One key point is that Paul and his friends remind the Thessalonians that the missionaries had boldness in the midst of conflict. They did not flinch. They did not run. They stood fast with the word of truth from the Lord. They were bold with the gospel of God, and they did not mince their words, but were clear. The word itself is forceful by its nature. The truth of the gospel is forceful. It's a demanding word, the word of the gospel. The gospel is a bold word. The gospel demands a response. The word is either received, as the missionaries described in chapter 1, or it's rejected, as we are describing now. And conflict is inevitable. Some receive, some reject. People who reject the gospel realize that the gospel is a threat to them. 
The gospel is a threat to their status quo. The gospel is a threat to their worldview. Remember that Jesus warned the disciples that peace would not be the response to the gospel, but that persecution would come. In Matthew 10, 21 and 22, we read, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The words of Jesus there. And later in the same discussion, in verses 34 to 39, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This was a teaching of Jesus during his great Galilean ministry. He said this during his instruction to the 12 apostles when he sent them out to proclaim the gospel. Jesus was warning them. And Paul now has experienced the validity of that warning. But Paul and his friends were, as, as the poet said, bloodied but unbowed. They retained their boldness. Their commitment to the Lord was much stronger than physical pain or any threat. They had the truth of the gospel of God, and the truth is powerful. As per Jesus' teaching, these missionaries did not fear those who could kill the body. And remember, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All this conflict is due to the gospel and its effect on people. Notice also that the boldness of the missionaries is not due to an intrinsic capacity in these men, but their boldness is due to the fact that they were bold in our God. That's what they said. In our God. We're bold in our God. That's how our boldness exists too. They remain in our God, and their declaration was the gospel itself. This is a faithful missionary ministry in a nutshell. Prayer for boldness is a request in the scripture. In Acts 4.29, in Ephesians 6.19, and boldness is a feature of gospel presentation in several places in the scripture. In the discussion of the main lesson we're considering today, that the Lord provides faithful gospel ministers to lead his people, we already see an example of the faithfulness of these missionaries. But the first thing I want to give you in three thing, of the three th points is signs of unfaithful ministry of the gospel. The unfaithful ministry of the gospel is seen in the description of the things that Paul and his friends said they did not do in these verses, verses 3 through 7. There's an extensive description of the ministry of the missionaries 
given in contrasting terms, many negative terms like not or never. In verse 3, Paul mentions their appeal. What is this appeal? The appeal Paul is making is the appeal to the people to respond affirmatively to the gospel in repentance and faith. That's the appeal. Then the missionaries give a description of the motives for their actions. Their appeal springs from motives in their hearts. First, they say what their motives aren't. One reason for this negative aspect is the missionaries are defending themselves against attacks and accusations. First, in verse 3, they're not in error. They're right, not wrong. They're not mistaken. They got it right. They have the truth, and they give it accurately. Second, they're not impure. They have the pure motive of love for the people, a true desire for their best, their welfare, and the best welfare for the people is their salvation and reception of the gift of eternal life, more important than anything else on earth. The missionaries had no ulterior motives. Third, in verse 3, they are honest. There's no attempt to trick or con people, just the simple truth. And they give it accurately. Fourth, they don't try to please man. They don't bend the truth to make it more palatable, to give it a spin to make it more acceptable. Fifth, they don't use flattering words in verse 5. They don't bend the truth about people's situation or their personality or other aspects of their being, making people in their actions or reputations look better or prettier than they are for the purpose of manipulating the person. No manipulation. And sixth, they're not greedy. They're not peddling the gospel for money. They're not trying to get rich. They're not using the pulpit to extract large offerings from people. And seventh, they're not seeking glory from people. They're, looking to, they're not looking to enhance their own reputations as missionaries or great men or heroes or to be likable. That's manipulation too. So there are seven negatives, what these missionaries didn't do. All these denials are denials of unfaithful conduct, characteristics of unfaithful ministers. Look out for those. We see these happening in some pulpits and churches and on mass media today, but not with Paul and Silas and Timothy. Having looked at signs of unfaithful ministry in these verses, the second thing to consider as we discuss the main topic of the Lord's provision of faithful gospel ministers to lead his people is the signs of faithful ministry. We've seen signs of unfaithful and now faithful. It's a good, strong contrast. What did they actually do? First, in verse 4, they mentioned their credentials, that they have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That's saying a lot. How can they say that, that they've been approved by God? They've been entrusted with the gospel. They're not saying this out of pride or self-conceit. They are saying this out of the knowledge of the steadfast love of the Lord that was guiding and keeping them and their confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, in their lives, in their ministry. They know their Lord and they know of his approval of them because of Christ and his saving work. Also, They are recognized representatives sent out by the church. In a sense, we can say the same thing. 
We know that the Lord approves of us because we are in Christ. We know the Lord has entrusted us with the gospel because we have the Great Commission. But there's another dimension in the case of Paul and Silas and Timothy. These people have been set apart for the gospel ministry. They have what we call today an internal call and an external call to the ministry. The internal call is a stirring in the heart of a person calling to minister the word of God. And the external call comes from the church which has recognized the gifts of ministry in these men. We read about the recognition by the church of Paul and Silas at one point in Acts 15.40. We read there, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. They have been approved by God and the church to be entrusted with the gospel. That's the first sign. The second sign of faithful ministry in verse 4, they speak to please God who tests our hearts. They speak to please God who tests our hearts. That's how they should speak. Looking to please God, to glorify Him. They love God, they speak to please Him. That actually is right in line with the job description of any Christian. We speak to please God who tests our hearts. Of course, it's not surprising to us that Paul and friends mission, mention that God tests the hearts. Paul is well aware of the omniscience of God and of God's interest in the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's been clearly taught by God at least since 1 Samuel 16, 7, where it said, man look on the outside and the Lord looks on the heart. It's great to hear these missionaries declare without hesitation their commitment to pleasing the Lord, not only in their appeal and speech, but also in their heart. The Lord also tests our heart. The third aspect of faithful ministry in verse 6, Paul mentions they could have made demands as apostles in Christ. They could have insisted on their rights, the right of respect, the right of support, and other rights as well. Paul and his companions were aware of their apostolic status, but they did not use that status to impose any burden on the people. Fourth, in verse 7, is one of two poignant images they describe their behavior among the church in Thessalonica. Verse 7 says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is the only time the word translated as nursing, nursing mother occurs in the scripture. It's a unique place for it. Pictures of mercy, mothers gently holding their nursing infant bring out powerful feelings in us with tenderness, love, care, all intense and sweet. Tender but strong is the love of a nursing mother. This is the picture of how Paul, Silas, and Timothy acted among the Thessalonians. They were the opposite of harsh. They were gentle, tender, kind, thoughtful, in short, loving. Let this picture of the nursing mother taking care of her own children sink in. That's a great ministry posture, right? May we be guided by such an attitude with people. 
A fifth aspect of the faithful ministry is seen in verse 8, expanding on this idea. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves also, because you had become very dear to us. All the love and affection remains in the forefront as they continue with this statement. The missionaries were deeply affected by their relationship with the Thessalonians. The relationship developed quickly and deeply. One additional point is that a nursing mother is well aware and accepting of the immaturity and limitations and inabilities of her own children. She is patient and considerate, living with understanding of her children. Paul and Silas and Timothy were like that. That's what they're telling their church. Gentle, understanding, accepting, encouraging. Verse 8 continues along the same lines of the gentle nursing mother, adding the element of affectionately desirous, an unusual term that communicates well the loving and the yearning in the relationship. They wanted to impress on the Thessalonian church how important the church was to them, how much on their minds the church was. And they continued to express their love and concern for the church there, saying that they wanted to share not only the gospel of God, but their own selves. The folks in the church had become very dear to the missionaries. A sixth aspect of faithful ministry is seen in verse 9. Here they remind the church that they worked among them. So they must have been there at least a while in Thessalonica to do work. And not a leisurely work, but a night and day work. Long hours of work. The purpose of working hard like that was so that they could take care of their own needs and not be a burden to anyone. Do you know what Paul did for a living? He was a tent maker by trade. He's of the same trade as Priscilla and Aquila, and we read about that in Acts 18, 2 and 3. He was likely taught this trade by his dad in the city of Tarsus, a prominent city in Southeast Asia in the Roman province of Cilicia, a lush plain with good agriculture. The tents were most likely made from leather or black goat hair. Paul also worked not only in Thessalonica, but when he was in Corinth that year and a half in Acts 18. Notice that there are two things in verse 9 that Paul and Silas and Timothy are doing. One is that they're working long hours, but the second is the primary thing that they're doing. The primary thing is not working long hours. The primary thing was proclaiming the gospel of God. They were missionaries after all. As they live, they walk around, and particularly as they preach and teach, what they are spreading about is what they are proclaiming is the gospel of God. Nothing less, just like in verse 2. And the full gospel, not a mere synopsis. So despite the tent-making work being strenuous, their minds and hearts were primarily engaged in the gospel ministry, and that's how it should be with faithful ministers of the gospel. A seventh aspect of faithful gospel ministry is seen in verses 10 through 12, where Paul and friends continue the description of their behavior among the Thessalonians. They describe it as conduct being holy and righteous and blameless. 
They note that, when the, that the Thessalonians can attest to this conduct themselves since they were there and saw it. It's unquestionable. They were holy. They were separate. They were pure. They were righteous, that is truthful, honest, with right judgment, just. And they were blameless, with wisdom, correct thinking, good acting. That is a great missionary effort. Holy, righteous, and blameless. That's how they acted, behaved among the church, the believers. Our conduct to well be aimed at those same characteristics. As we think about the truth that the Lord provides faithful gospel ministers for his church, we have seen first the features of unfaithful gospel ministry, and then the features of faithful gospel ministry, and now third we will highlight the family relationship of faithful gospel ministry. Paul and Silas and Timothy had become family to the Thessalonian church. They had become brothers and sisters. They had also become like nursing mothers, as we discussed a minute ago. And this family aspect of a faithful gospel ministry has another family feature. The missionaries acted in a fatherly fashion. Just a few verses before, they were gentle like nursing mother. And now they are like an encouraging and teaching father. Like a father with his children. Similar to like a mother taking care of her own children. And what are the three activities that the missionaries describe in this fatherly action? First, they exhorted the, the Thessalonians. They clearly, forcefully gave direction to them, gave them good advice. They told them. They taught them. They used their words to stimulate growth in the church, the gospel. The second thing they did, they encouraged them. They told them to keep up the good work. They told them not to be afraid or frustrated. Told them to be bold in their perseverance in their Christian lives. The missionaries no doubt commended the good things in the church's life and were gentle in their corrections. And we see a lot of that in chapter 1. And thirdly and finally, they charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Wow, that's a tall order, but a good father would do this for his son. To walk in a manner worthy of God. As I think of how I can walk in such a way, it's a daunting series of thoughts. But it's a good and necessary thing to think about. How can I walk in a manner worthy of God? I can live my minutes grateful to God for his mercies and graces and gifts. I can live resting in the love of God. I can live in active service energized and motivated by the loving promises of God, keeping in mind the many precious promises that the Lord will always keep. That won't be really worthy, but it is the way to live. The real worthiness is to rest in Christ, to cling to his worthiness. That's where worthiness is. He paid for our sin and imputed to us his righteousness, his worthiness. And that is how we can walk in a manner worthy of God, trusting Christ. And finally, the missionaries remind the church that God called the Thessalonians into God's own kingdom and glory. 
That's another blockbuster statement. They just come one after another. God is continually issuing the call to his people to come into his own kingdom and glory. Coming into God's kingdom and glory happens in two ways. First, it happens here and now. We are to be growing in God's kingdom now, here in this church on earth, in his church. And we are to be growing in God's glory now, here on earth in the church. God's glory is seen in his church as the Spirit works here. But second, it doesn't happen here and now. It happens in its fullness later in heaven. We are recipients of an upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul in Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the ultimate kingdom and glory is ours in heaven. That is our destination. That is the ultimacy of our hope. We work here and now in anticipation of the future in heaven with our Lord, our triune God. The already, here and now, and the not yet, the future in glory. You see today that the missionaries described their ministry of some months before when they were in Thessalonica. They showed in some detail how blessed the Thessalonians were because the Lord had provided faithful gospel ministers to lead his people. And the Lord is faithful to do that in churches through the ages. Paul and Silas and Timothy were not exceptions, but they were good examples. May our pastors today be like these men. And may we emulate the same worthy characteristics of good ministers simply as good churchmen in the pews and in voluntary service to the Lord and this church. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these precious verses showing us how you provided faithful ministers of the gospel for the Thessalonians and by extension how you have been caring for your church through faithful ministers all through the ages and even today. We thank you for our faithful pastor, Nate Hornfeld, and pray that you will encourage him and lead him and that you will use him as a faithful minister of the gospel at Grace OPC and the city of San Antonio and wider areas. Remind us, Lord, to pray for ministers, especially our minister. Give him the strength and wisdom and zeal for the task you have given him. Give us thoughtfulness to be thankful for you, to thankful to you for him, and to him for his faithful ministry of the gospel. We pray for you to hear us in Jesus' sake. Amen.